Good morning, Grace Hill. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be with you this morning, and I am real excited to be starting in the book of Ruth uh, together as a church over the next several weeks. Um, this Sunday morning, though, uh, is the last Sunday in the month of January. And what that means is that we're getting uh, really close to about 30 days since you, if you did do this, made your New Year's resolutions, if, if you made them. And so my question is, how's it going? You know, you're coming up on that time where, you know, all of that energy and all of that kind of burst of motivation that you had in the beginning of the year is probably gone at this point, and so now it's, it's time for habits to kick in, and if those resolutions hasn't turned into habits yet, then we're, we might be back to real life. Maybe we've gone back just to how things have always been. It's just easier that way, and life is busy and complicated for new, new habits. Um, I told you that one of my resolutions uh, this year was to uh, run complete uh, a half marathon in, in September, which is a, a big deal for someone who hates running like me. And so, uh, of course, I've been running most days. I've only taken one week off because I was traveling, and no one exercises when they travel. Um, but one of my questions that I want us to consider this morning is this, is why is it so hard for a lot of people uh, to be faithful to commitments they make or vows that they make or resolutions or ways they want to change their life habitually. Why is it so hard to grow in faithfulness, consistency, uh, faithfulness? I feel like this is a character quality that we all admire in others. We can see it in other people, but when it comes to ourselves, it, it feels elusive, unattainable. Everybody else doesn't have trouble when it comes to faithfulness, but, but I struggle with faithfulness. You know, everybody else faithfully exercises, and I don't. Everybody else faithfully reads their Bible every single day and knows it, but, but not me. You know, everybody else, he, all the other guys out there are great dads, and all the other girls out there are great moms, but I'm not. I'm not consistent. I'm not faithful. It, it seems like it's hard to grow in. And the question is why? Why do we struggle with this, with, with faithfulness and growing in this? And so I wanna, I wanna define this term for us this morning. So here's a definition of faithfulness that I came up with. This is my definition. It's, here's how I would describe it. Faithfulness is behavior motivated by belief. Okay, Faithfulness is behavior motivated by by belief, right? When we say we wanna grow in faithfulness, what we're saying is we want to change our behavior in a certain area of our life, right? I wanna stop being lazy and I wanna start exercising or I wanna stop sleeping in and I wanna start getting up early to read my Bible. I wanna stop looking at my phone so much and I wanna start being attentive to the people around me. And we all wish that changing our behavior and growing in faithfulness was as easy as just making the decision, right? Like it's some sort of switch that we can flip and just 
flip that switch and, and boom, my behavior has changed. I'm now faithful to this new commitment that I've made in my life. But we all know that it is just simply not that easy. But see, faithfulness is behavior motivated by belief. All of our decisions and all of our behaviors are motivated by something that we believe. And so changing our behaviors and our habits, it's difficult because we're actually talking about changing our beliefs inside of us. And we, we just can't flip a switch and change what we believe, right? This is why if you want to start faithfully exercising, right, you have to get the accountability and find other ways to externally motivate yourself to actually get out there and regularly exercise and do it enough to the point where you actually begin to see the benefits and feel the benefits, right? You're, I mean, I feel better, I'm more flexible, maybe less back pain. And you get to that point where you actually believe that the long-term benefits of exercise outweigh the short-term discomfort of exercise. And once you begin to believe that and crave that, that's when you become faithful to exercise more regularly because your belief is now internalized. Your motivation is now internal. It's not external anymore because I believe it, so I'm going to do it. Faithfulness is behavior. It's motivated by belief in, inside of us. And I believe every single one of us as followers of Jesus, I think we desire to grow in faithfulness to God. We want to grow in knowing God's word and applying it to our lives. We want to grow in loving God and worshiping him and grow in seeing how God has called us to be faithful in every context we're in, like our home and our workplaces. We want to be faithful to share the love of God to other people. I think all of us, we, we want to grow in this, but it's hard. It's not like we can just flip the switch and all of a sudden we're faithful in our walk with Christ or we're consistent in all of these things because there's this war of belief waging inside of us. We're constantly barraged with reasons from the world why we shouldn't trust God or apply his word to our lives. And wavering belief inside of us will kill faithfulness. And this is what I want to talk to us about this morning. And here's how I want to talk about it. I want us to learn from the life of a young, insignificant, immigrant widow named Ruth, whose faithfulness to God was unwavering, even though it would seem she had every single reason not to be faithful to God. She still was. I want us to look into her life and see how we can follow her example. And so we read Ruth 1 together earlier in our service, but allow me just to take a moment and help us understand this story of, that we uh, read here just in Ruth chapter 1. We'll just stay in chapter 1 this morning. So there is this man named Elimelech, and he's living in Bethlehem in Judah, which is in Israel. He has a wife. Her name is Naomi, two sons, Malon and Kilion. 
Now, there's a famine in Israel, so Elimelech decides to take his family. Let's go to Moab. So heading east to modern-day Jordan, let's go there uh, to weather this famine. But while they're in Moab, Elimelech dies. And so Naomi is a widow. Now, as tragic as that is, Naomi still had her two sons, Malon and, and Kilion. So understand, this was a very patriarchal society. And widows had a very difficult time making ends meet and providing for themselves, but especially widows without children. And so Naomi had her two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they take Moabite women to be their wives. Now, you also have to understand, as Naomi is an Israelite, this would have been extremely frowned upon for her sons to take Moabite women to be their wives to intermarry with Moabites. Well, and first, it's because Moabites didn't worship the God of the Bible. They worshiped other gods. And the second reason is the Israelites had an encounter with the Moabites while they were wandering in the desert. And God wasn't pleased with how the Moabites treated the Israelites. And so he put a curse down on them and said they cannot enter the assembly of the Lord for 10 generations. Moabites can't. So this marriage between Israelite Men, Malon and Kilion, and these two women, Ruth and Orpah, was frowned upon. But Malon marries Ruth, Kilion marries Orpah, and you have this mixed family, and they live for 10 years in Moab without having any children. So you would assume, because 10 years went by and no children, that both Orpah and Ruth were barren. They could not have kids. Tragedy strikes the story again because Malon and Kilion die. So now here is the situation. We have an Israelite widow living in Moab with her two Moabite daughters-in-laws who are also widows and childless. This is a scary situation for these women. Again, patriarchal society they probably had no shot at providing for themselves. And so one day, Naomi hears in the fields that the famine is done in Israel, that God had heard them and provided food for them. So she decides, I'm going back home to Bethlehem. But she tells Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, stay back. Stay in Moab. Hopefully you will find husbands here in Moab. You can have children, right? You'll have rest and security if you stay in Moab. And initially, both Ruth and Orpah insist, no, we're coming with you. We're staying with you, Naomi. But Naomi pushes back. She knows she's too old to marry and have another husband and, and especially to have more kids. And so she couldn't have other sons that Ruth and Orpah could eventually marry. And, and since these women were Moabites, they probably would not find husbands back in Israel if they came with her. And because a woman could not be in a secure place without a husband in that kind of society, she insisted, no, you guys need to stay in Moab. So Orpah takes her mother-in-law's advice and stays. She stays back. But Ruth remains faithful to Naomi. And I want to read for you the interaction between Ruth and Naomi when Naomi realizes that Ruth is stubborn and she isn't going anywhere. Look at what uh, Ruth and Naomi say to each other. Chapter one, verses 15 to 18. And Naomi said, 
See, your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Interesting there that Naomi, one who worships the God of the Bible, had encouraged Orpah to go back to the gods of the Moabites. Return after your sister-in-law, she says to Ruth. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. The God of the Bible, Naomi, that's my God, not the God of the Moabites. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, notice in your Bible, all capital letters for Lord there, which means it's the name of God, Yahweh, written there in Hebrew. May Yahweh, the God of the Bible, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Some translations read, Naomi stopped talking to her. And they return to Bethlehem, and Ruth faithfully clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Why was Ruth so faithful to her commitment to Naomi, while Orpah decided to stay back in Moab? I mean, I think this is something that's really important for us to analyze this morning, because when you look at the details of the story, Ruth had every single reason not to be faithful to Naomi in this situation. The variables, the circumstances were stacked against her. It would have made sense for her to do what Orpah did. And I think as we look at this chapter together this morning, we can identify four reasons why Ruth probably should have stayed back. Four threats to Ruth's faithfulness. Four reasons why if many of us, if we were in her situation, probably would have thrown in the towel. But somehow, Ruth overcomes all of them. And so I wanna look at these four real fast Look at these four threats to Ruth's faithfulness. So here's the first one. The first threat we see is that Ruth just had an easier option available to her. She had an easier option. It's the option that Naomi insisted she take and her sister Orpah did take. Stay in Moab. This is where you're from, right? You're gonna get married if you stay in Moab. You're gonna find a husband. You're gonna buy a house. You're gonna have kids. You're gonna have wealth, Things are going to be secure. You're going to have friends. You know the culture. It's just more comfortable here. This is where you belong, Ruth. It's just be way easier to stay back. Think of the life you could build for yourself if you stayed back in Moab. No one would blame you for it. You lost your husband. It was a tragic situation. Naomi's headed back to her people. She's a widow too. No one is going to think twice, Ruth, if you just stay back. It's way easier. But what does Ruth do? Verse 16 says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Listen to this. For where you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Didn't phase her. Second threat I think we see is Ruth was, she just simply didn't belong in Israel, in Bethlehem. Ruth was a Moabite, not an Israelite. She didn't belong in Israel. What were people gonna say about her? 
What kind of conversations behind her back were gonna be had about Ruth when she came back with Naomi? And also, when Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem, what we see is many of Naomi's old friends from Bethlehem recognized her. And they're like, man, this is Naomi. She's, she's back. Look at her. And look at what Naomi says to them in verses 20 and 21. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Look at this. I went away empty. I'm sorry. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. I mean, I know a lot of tragedy has happened, and Naomi has certainly lost a lot during her time in, in Moab, but Ruth clung to her. She went away. She came back empty. How did that make Ruth feel? But what does Ruth do? The other part of verse 16, she says to Naomi, your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Some people were gonna think that she didn't belong, but it didn't matter what other people thought to Ruth. She knew where she belonged. The third threat I think we see to her faithfulness was just she had a totally uncertain future if she went back to Bethlehem. Like we said earlier, this was a patriarchal society. Ruth was a childless widow who was also an immigrant. That's a recipe for no future. That's a recipe for hardship for the rest of your life. How was she going to find a husband who would take care of her and provide for her, especially as a Moabite? But what does Ruth do? Verse 17, she says, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Sure, Ruth had no certainty or control over her future. But that didn't deter her from being faithful to Naomi. All she knew was that she was gonna stay at Naomi's side till death. It's all she knew. And the fourth threat that I think we see to her faithfulness is she, just her wounds from the past. If you look at verses 20 and 21 again, this is Naomi speaking, and we just read this, but this is Naomi saying, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me. Ruth and Naomi had suffered through unspeakable tragedy, and we see here that Naomi is discouraged, and Naomi's faith in God is shaky because of what happened in the past. She's thinking, I don't know if I can trust you, God. I don't know if you're good. I don't know if what you are doing in my life is actually for my good. She is wounded from her past. She's angry. She's bitter for what she has experienced. And when we're wounded and confused, it's hard to be faithful. But somehow this trauma does not phase Ruth. She just presses forward. So, so what is it about Ruth that makes her so strong and faithful in the midst of these threats, these reasons to not be faithful? What is it about Ruth where she was able to overcome these things? Remember, we said that faithfulness 
is behavior motivated by belief. And whatever it was that Ruth believed in, it was strong enough to overcome those threats. And we know that when Ruth married into this Israelite family, she came to know and believe in the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God that we worship today. That became her God. And the book of Ruth introduces us to an attribute of God that is key to understanding the story of Ruth and quite frankly, the rest of the Bible. All right, this is an attribute of God that is the anchor of Ruth's faithfulness and it must be the anchor to our faithfulness to God, right? If this is not at the core of our belief in God, then we will not be able to withstand the threats that life is gonna throw at us to our faithfulness like Ruth was able to. And that attribute is God's faithfulness to us, God's consistency, the fact that God is perfectly faithful and never fails. In fact, Naomi mentions this attribute of God in Ruth chapter one, verse eight. It's easy to miss, but look at what she says. It says, but Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, remember she's trying to convince them to stay back, go, Return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly. Think, just grab that word kindly. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now that word kindly there is a very loaded word in the Bible. It doesn't seem like much in this verse right here. But it's an important word for us to understand our relationship with God. All right, this is the Hebrew word hesed. And it can be translated, uh, in the Bible we see this translated as the steadfast love of God, the faithful love of God, the loving kindness of God. And so what Naomi was saying to Ruth and Orpah was, may God deal with you faithfully. May he deal with you according to his steadfast love. May he deal with you according to his loving kindness. Um, maybe the best translation for uh, this word is given to us in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a children's Bible. And it translates this word as God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's the kind of love that a parent has for a child. It's fierce and it never diminishes. And this word is gonna pop up again in the book of Ruth. And it is key to understanding the book of Ruth. In fact, this word is key to understanding, like I said earlier, the whole Bible. Uh, earlier, Nick read from the call to worship. Didn't know he was gonna do that. In Deuteronomy, we heard about the steadfast love of God. The word hesed was used to describe God's love for us. Earlier, Jamie, he read from Psalm 145 in his prayer earlier. Didn't know he was gonna read from that either, but we heard about the steadfast love of God. That word hesed was there in that scripture. It is all over the Bible. And what we need to see this morning is that Ruth's faithfulness in her life was motivated by God's faithfulness to her. 
All right, faithfulness is behavior motivated by belief. Ruth's faithfulness was motivated by her belief in God's faithfulness to her, God's love for her, God's steadfast love that will never fail. And this is vastly different than Naomi, who believed that God was opposed to her and not for her. I like the CSB translation of verse 21, where Ruth, I'm sorry, where Naomi says, why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me. There is a direct correlation between Ruth's view of God and her faithfulness and Naomi's view of God and her bitterness. Ruth believed that even in the midst of all of the tragedy and all of the pain and all of the uncertainty, that God still loved her and was working toward her good. And because she believed in the faithfulness of God, she lived a faithful life. And Ruth doesn't know this yet. But as we continue to study her life in this book over the next several weeks, we're going to see God's faithfulness to her. We're gonna see how God is going to use all of the hardship that she has endured for her good. She doesn't know the specifics yet, but she trusts God. She remains faithful. And not only are we gonna see how God will use all of the hardship that Ruth endured in her past for her good, we are also going to see how God will use all of Ruth's hardship from her past as a part of God's grand plan of redemption. The gospel. You know what Ruth knows right now? She just arrived in Bethlehem. You know what she knows? She knows she's childless. She's an immigrant in this strange land and she's a widow. That's what she knows. But she trusts God. That God's gonna be faithful to her. And what she doesn't know yet is that her name will be written down in the fifth verse of the New Testament, Matthew chapter one, verse five listed as a direct ancestor to Jesus Christ. What she doesn't know is that this childless widow will be the great-grandmother of King David. And through the line of Ruth will come God's ultimate display of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for us. And that's Jesus. Understand this, God loves us so much that even though we have sinned against him, even though we have rejected his word, even though we are unfaithful to him, he has pursued after us like he pursued after Ruth. He sent Jesus to deal with our sin by dying on the cross in our place. He sent Jesus to give us his righteousness by living the life that we could never live. He sent Jesus to come and get us and bring us into his family underneath the love of a perfect heavenly father. All that he requires of us is that we recognize our sin, we repent, and we receive this love of God in and through Jesus Christ. Trusting that we can only be right with God by trusting in Jesus, not trusting in ourselves. Right? This is what it means to follow Jesus. Not that we are faithful, but we repent of our unfaithfulness and throw ourselves upon 
the faithfulness of Jesus. And if you're here and you don't trust in Jesus or you're not sure what you believe about Jesus yet, you need to know that God's love, this kind of love, is available to you this morning if you trust in Jesus. You don't need to recite specific prayers, take pilgrimages, learn religious lingo, or somehow pass a faithfulness test for God to put his love upon you. No, we trust Jesus not ourselves, to be right with God. Listen, God loves you so much that he decided that your relationship with him is not gonna be contingent upon your faithfulness. Rather, he made it that your relationship with him is contingent on his faithfulness. And he's perfectly faithful. You don't keep yourself in the love of God by being faithful. He keeps you in his love by being faithful, right? This is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It is radical. It almost seems off to us because we're legalists at heart. We feel like we have to earn everything. But what the gospel of Jesus Christ says is, no, you are not faithful enough to earn your way to me. But Jesus is. Throw yourself upon him. Trust in his faithfulness. Repent of your unfaithfulness. And you'll forever be in my love. And all of God's children, though, as those who are recipients of the faithful love of God, have a God-given innate desire built into us that God gives us to be faithful, to live a life of faithfulness back to God. It's, it's one of the ways how we know who's a child of God and who's not a child of God. God's children desire to be faithful back to God. But even when we desire to be faithful to God, it's not easy and we're not perfect which is why we need to learn from Ruth. And Ruth teaches us that our faithfulness to God has to be motivated by his faithfulness to us. If it's not, we won't be able to withstand the everyday threats to our faithfulness the way Ruth was able to. Threats like comfort, you know, as we try and live lives of faithfulness to God, we will have moments where being faithful to God will be the hard, less comfortable option. And we'll be tempted to take the easier way, the more comfortable route like Orpah did. Uh, you know, maybe you have an opportunity to share your faith with someone or maybe it's carving out time to spend every single morning in God's word before anything else we're always gonna be tempted to take the easier route. You know, avoid the awkward conversation, sleep in. And if we have a view of God like Naomi, this view of God that, man, he's opposed to me because I haven't been as faithful as I ought to be, we're gonna to cave to those threats every single time. Right, the only motivation we'll have to share our faith with people is to score faithfulness points with God. 
The only motivation we'll have to getting up out of bed and, and reading his word is to score faithful points, faithfulness points with God, like, like God's keeping that score or something. But see, when we believe in the faithful love of God towards us like Ruth did, when we believe that our relationship with him is not anchored in our faithfulness, but in God's faithfulness, that becomes an unlimited source of motivation to be faithful to God and his word. Because we're not sharing our faith to score points with God. We're sharing our faith because we have experienced the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. And we want to share that hope with others as well. We don't read our Bibles to check the box. We read our Bibles because in it we are reminded of God's faithfulness to us and how he has called us to live. We could talk about the threat of insecurity. We have an insecurity epidemic in the church. This fear of what people are really thinking about us. I don't measure up to all the good Christians. This fear that we really don't belong. This fear that if people really knew everything about us, they would reject us, or worse, laugh at us, talk about us behind our back. You know, maybe you're a new Christian and you don't know much about the Bible yet. Maybe you have struggles that a lot of people don't know about or your past is pretty colorful and you're ashamed of it or whatever makes you feel like you don't belong or if people really knew the true you, you would be just rejected. And if we have a view of God like Naomi's view of God, that God's opposed to us because I just haven't been the good Christian that I should have been. Insecurity will rule your heart. Our faith in God will exasperate our greatest fear that we don't belong in God. We don't belong. We don't belong to God. We don't belong to the church. We don't, we just don't fit. that God is just as ashamed of us as we are ashamed of ourselves. This type of insecurity will kill our faithfulness to God because all of our efforts to be faithful will be motivated by wanting to fit in. But we don't belong in the church or to God because of our Bible knowledge, our affinity to Christian culture, the way that we talk, our clean past or our lack of struggle that has nothing to do with it. We belong to God because he pursued after us with his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that's all of us. No one belongs to God or the church for any other reason than God's faithfulness. It's the only reason that we belong. We are all the same. And if we're all the same, then we can all be fully known, good and bad, and fully loved at the same time. Finally, what about the, the threat of the future and the past? You know, we noticed earlier that Ruth could have been derailed by having a very uncertain future or because of the wounds from her past. And if we have a view of God like Naomi's view of God, that God's opposed to us because I'm not faithful enough, then we'll interpret our past as God's punishment and we'll fear what he's gonna do to us in the future. Have you ever thought to yourself, what will God do to me if I don't read my Bible more? What will he take from me? 
What kind of pain or brokenness will he make me endure because I haven't been good enough? But God's faithfulness is perfect. It's above time, it's unstoppable, it's irreversible, all right? To where God can take the worst parts of our past and use them for our good and his glory in the future. Right? I've seen God take friends of mine who are, were convicted drug dealers who got saved in prison and used their skills uh, that they learned while they were drug dealers for his glory in the future, ministering to people all over the world. I've seen that. I've seen God take a friend of mine who was an atheist who diligently studied why no one should believe in God, save them, and then take everything they studied to go minister to people in the future. Right? I mean, these people, they could have been derailed by the shame of their past and fear they had no future, but God took their entire past and used it for their future because he's faithful in a way that blows our minds. We can never predict what God will do with our lives. Ruth could never predict what God is about to do with her in this story. She just trusted that he's faithful. I've seen God take a friend of mine who was in a horrific accident, broke his neck, paralyzed from the chest down, and give him a ministry at the rehab center to all the people who were going through the same injury. Because our relationship with God is anchored in his faithfulness to us, right? There's nothing in our past that he can't use and redeem. And you have no idea what God has in the future for you. Absolutely no idea. The very thing that you're thinking has ruined your future might be the very thing that God is going to use for his glory in your future. Right? We have nothing to be ashamed of in our past because Jesus has covered all of it and we have nothing to fear in the future because God loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. He's faithful. And so here's, here's what we need to do this morning. Here's what we need to think about, meditate on. You know, I encourage you, take a few minutes today, tonight, sit down by yourself and ask yourself this honest question. Maybe journal about it if you do that. Maybe talk to someone about it. But ask yourself, do I view God like Naomi? Do I kind of have this lingering, under the surface feeling that God is opposed to me because I'm just not faithful enough? Because that view of God will kill every bit of your faithfulness. Or do I view God like Ruth? Do I understand that my relationship with God is not anchored in my faithfulness, but it's anchored in his? I mean, these are polar opposite views of God. One leads to faithlessness, and the other leads to a life of faithfulness. Let me pray. God, I know 
that what we talked about this morning as we studied Ruth chapter one is an attribute of you that we have such a hard time wrapping our minds around. It almost feels too radical to us. Like we're gonna abuse you. Like if your faithfulness is really that good, if it's, if it's really that permanent, if it's really unbreakable, really unstoppable, then how is that fair? How is it that we get to be a recipient of that without earning it? How is it that we get to be a recipient of that without continuing to earn it and prove that we deserve it? We can't help but reject your grace and believe in works. There's something wrong with us. We can't help it. But reject your grace and believe in works. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room this morning that you would just tear down that view of you. Maybe there's people in this room who have called themselves Christians their entire lives, but they've always viewed you like Naomi did. And maybe this morning, Lord, they could taste grace for the first time. A type of grace that doesn't plunge us into a life of wild living and license, but the type of grace that transforms us to your children who desire to live faithful lives back. May we be a church that is faithful because we are motivated by your never stopping, unbreakable, always and forever love for us, your faithful love for us. In Christ's name, amen.